I just moved mine really close. Hello, Casey. Hello, Kayla. That's not. I feel like I was giving. Uh, Hello, Sydney. Vibe. Not really. I won't flatter myself. I uh, like some Hannibal Lecter from Scream. Oh, I was thinking like the Hello, Clarice. Hello, Clarice. <laughs> just for, giving out the proper vibes for the proper podcast. For anyone who doesn't know, I'm not intimidating whatsoever. So that none of this is accurate. <laughs> <laughs> so Casey. So Kayla. I have a question for you. Shoot. When's the last time you actually watched a good movie? Oh man, I don't know. I don't really watch too many movies, so it's been a minute. I feel like Hollywood doesn't make good movies. Probably not. Like I feel like they're all kind of, they've just kind of gone to shit, to be honest. In my humble opinion. Hmm. But... But I think this story could save them. Okay. Because this is probably one of my favorite stories that I've come across in the true crime world. Ooh, we love a good favorite one. And it's because when you read it, it sounds like a movie. Oh, no. But not like a cheesy horror movie or something. It reads like one of those timeless movies uh-huh. that like when they actually made good movies. Like Gone with the Wind. Yeah. I say that as if I've seen Gone with the Wind. <laughs> Like, it just sounds like it would be, like, just a good movie that you would, like, the kind of movie you would watch over and over again. Like Hot Rod. <laughs> like Roadhouse. Sure. sure. I never watched that movie. I didn't either. I just wanted to say Roadhouse. Roadhouse. But no, I think this would be a legit Hollywood movie if they did it correctly. Oh, yeah. And I love it. And I already have the cast picked out in my brain. The dad. It's Pedro uh, Pascal. Yes! <laughs> the dad is our um, internet zaddy, Pedro. Pedro. He would play, his name is Cicero. Hmm. That would be his name. I already have it picked out. I have it lined up. Hollywood, don't ruin this for me. It's all going to work out. Don't fuck it up. We ask very little of you. We ask very little. All right, so let's get into our story. Okay. Okay. So, our story takes place with the River People. So, the River People were a community that lived along the White River in Arkansas County. Okay. Uh, which was kind of around St. Charles, Arkansas in the 1920s and 30s. This was a very unique community of people, all of which lived on the water on houseboats. Okay. Pretty gnarly. If I do say so. I would love to live in a houseboat. These were like, not what you think of a houseboat now, where it's like an actual boat and you live on it type mm-hmm. of thing. This looked like a shack and it would like, literally could like drift. That's a no for me, dog. But like some of them, like everyone built their own. So depending on their skill, like some of them were really nice. Some of them weren't. It, I think of like a movie set when I think of it. Okay. Pretty cool. Anyway. So, people who did not live on the river were called the Drylanders. See, it's sounding like a movie. It does sound like a movie. <laughs> uh, so, the Drylanders would often refer to the river people as river rats. You know, when they wanted to be mean and nasty. Mm-hmm. But there was a definite divide between the Drylanders and the river people. So, that's kind of important. Uh, the river people, uh, they had a lot of jobs and their entire economy was basically supported themselves mm-hmm. and the dry landers as well uh these people they knew how to hunt fish fur trap 
They would even get mussels and they would make buttons out of the mussels. Oh. And they were the largest manufacturer of buttons for the war, for the uniforms, for the soldiers. Okay. Um, so they were just, like, killing it. That sounds really cool. Yeah, and they would make various things from, like, basically the junk that they would find in the river. Like, they would get buckets and stuff and make diving helmets so they could go into the water and get the mussels. Oh. They were, like, they were very crafty, hardworking, creative people. Very ingenuitous like, people. Yes, it was so cool to me like reading about them um so the story takes place during the depression era and people just in general across america were not doing well Mm -hmm. uh the nearby farms and towns they were really struggling and it was hard it was just a really hard time for them however the river people they were self-sufficient they didn't rely on the government they had their own currency their own businesses they were thriving they were like the only community that was take note american government yeah Uh, So, the people's entire lives were on the river. They worked there. They lived there. Like I said, they hunted and fished, but it was for food and for clothing. They Mm -hmm. never did for sport. Mm -hmm. Um, They also had their own set of rules, which they all referred to as river justice. Oh, I love this. Not a lot is known detail-wise about river justice, but they uh, did not rely on the police or authorities. They... uh, Hey, same. If uh, they, if something happened along the river, they took care of it themselves. So. This honestly sounds really familiar to how I grew up. Because really? Because I grew up on the Shenandoah River. Mm-hmm. And it was like we did everything, hunting, fishing, mm-hmm. for everything that we needed. Hmm. And then, like, the people in the mountain would be like, rah, 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 people <laughs> on the river. So, so I, you I, know. Feel, I feel this. I relate you to know. this. Um, they even had their own alarm systems, and people would take turns keeping an eye on things, and the DIY alarm systems would, like, set alarms off mm-hmm. to let people know when intruders were coming in the area. This community was extremely close. They looked out for each other. Um, and this just really, this whole world fascinated me, because it's such, like, an old way of living. Mm-hmm. Like, even, like, the world around them was, like, moving on, like, the Drylanders. They, it was, like, a normal town. But they were, like, this old way of living like very community Mm -hmm. self-sufficient which it was weird it's like they were in like their own little bubble i love that for them i love it i feel like i would like that (laughs) so our story is about helen ruth spence okay she was born in february 1912 1912 yeah a funeral home later stated that was her birthday but no one knows because it was the river and nobody kept records Mm. she was born on a houseboat though I love that. Yes. Uh, Helen's mother died when Helen was very young, but no one knows when or why. Later on, her father, Cicero Spence, married a woman named Ada, and she lived along with them with Helen's older sister, who was Edie, and she was paralyzed from a young age. Oh. So her father was 37-year-old Cicero. Um, So Cicero was very well-known and very respected in the community. Uh, For work, he was a fishing and hunting guide, and everyone came to him for everything. Mm -hmm. He seemed to know everything about hunting and fishing, and he was like the peacemaker of the community. So, he was well known to settle disagreements with the river people, and he was like a teacher, the mediator. Everyone loved Cicero. This is why I want Pedro Pascal to 
play him. <laughs> I completely understand that. Now it makes sense. We're full circle. So he taught Helen everything and her sister, everything about the river. And treated them like sons, which for the time period was a huge deal. Because you didn't do that. You know, it's like the 20s and 30s. Yeah. I'm you know, sorry. Boy- I'm sitting here processing things. Yeah. Yeah. So boys and girls, like, girls didn't hunt and fish. Like, yeah. It was like a whole thing. So he passed on his knowledge to her from a very early age. And Helen absolutely adored him. Aww. Like, she followed him around to all of his errands. And wherever he went, she would go. Cicero was just a great dad. He was always happy to have Helen around. Mm-hmm. It was just one of those father-daughter relationships where, like, dad hung the moon. Like, he could do no wrong. And they both just had, like, such a mutual respect and love for each other. I love that. Like, he was a good dad. Like, they were just great together. So, I completely understand why you want Pedro Pascal. Yes. You can, you, that man can it's, do no wrong. He can do no wrong. He is a sweet angel baby. Zaddy. Zaddy. <laughs> Um, And she was known by the river people to be beautiful and kind, and she had lots of friends. Some of her best friends were John Black and the sheriff's son, who was Elsie Brown. Okay. And she gave him the nickname Elsie. Cute fact. Which they come into play later on. So, remember Elsie and John. Okay. So, when Helen was 17, she woke up early one morning and heard heard her father talking to a man. She heard Cicero call this man Jack. And she heard them talk about how Cicero would take him fishing because that's his job. He's a fishing guide. Mm-hmm. And the two men went on a motorboat and nothing seemed out of the ordinary. So Ada, who's Helen's stepmother, made Cicero's lunch, but he accidentally left it at home. Aww. So she told Helen that they would go out on the paddle boat and bring the lunch to Cicero. And Helen agreed and they went out. Mm-hmm. Which, how cute is that? That's adorable. You, you left your lunch at home and you're going to go out on a paddle boat? Hmm. Paddle boat. That was cute. It is cute. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't go on a paddle boat to take Scott his lunch, but that's just I think me. it's probably the equivalent of, I guess, somebody forgetting lunch. And you're like, hey, here it is. And they live on the river. Yeah. It's like, here you go. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> so the women started to approach the motorboat, and they see Cesar and the man standing up on the boat clearly in each other's faces and they were clearly arguing about something mm-hmm. then there was a gunshot Cesaro fell jack saw the women approaching them and pushed Cesaro into the water oh no he then pointed the gun at the women and was yelling at them saying that he knew about this grand money this grand amount of money and Cesaro Cicer- buried it and refused to show jack where it was that's what Jack claimed. He said, Jack knows, or sorry, Cicero knows where this money is and he's not telling me. He didn't tell me. This sounds like it's the start of the plot of holes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ada was listening to all this and she knew there was no money. They didn't have that kind of money. Mm-hmm. And she knew that, you know, Cicero just didn't have anything like that. However, she knew in that moment she wanted to save Helen and they were in a bad situation. Mm-hmm. And she, even though that was her stepmother, that was her mother. Like, she'd been around and raised her. Yeah. So, um, so Ada knew that there was no money. But she told Jack that she knew where the money was. Mm. And he, ba- she basically said that Helen knew nothing. And she kind of insinuated that Helen was mentally challenged. Oh. 
basically because she's useless. She can't help you. Just leave her here. She's mm-hmm. not going to tell anyone because she's simple, basically, mm-hmm. is what she said. Which probably didn't sound very nice, but she did to save her kid. So we'll excuse it. I'll you, excuse it. You do what you got to do. You do what you got to do. And it worked. He brought Ada on the boat with her. Um, so he brought Ada on the boat and stole the oars from Helen on her boat, leaving her there alone as they sped off. Oh, no. So Helen just sat in the boat until basically somebody came around and found her. Oh, so unfortunate. And if you think about it, I actually didn't think about it till just now. She's sitting there in pure shock and her dad's in the water. Oh, no. Just stuck there. I didn't think about that till just now. That's terrible. <laughs> that is terrible. So eventually, it comes to light that Ada doesn't know about this money. Mm-hmm. There is no money. And Jack beats the crap out of her. Mm. To the point where she's barely alive and rapes her. Ew. Yeah. Ada was eventually taken to a hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. But she was not doing well. So, eventually it came out that this man was, his name was Jack Whirls. Jack was not one of the river people. Mm -hmm. And ordinarily, uh, what would have happened in this situation was that the river people would have gotten their hands on him. Yeah. And got some river justice. However, the authorities caught Jack before the river people could get their hands on him. Unfortunate. And he actually had to go to trial for the murder of Cicero. Now, while this is going on, Ada was not in good condition. She was in and out of a coma, and um, Helen went to the hospital to stay with her. Mm -hmm. And Helen's sister had to go live with family that wasn't on the river because, like I said, her sister was paralyzed, and Mm -hmm. she could not survive and take care of herself on the river and living the river people's way by herself. Yeah. So she went away. It was probably for the best. It was for for her own good. Um, So there was no way she was going to make it, basically. So they sent her off. And a few days after the brutal attack, Ada died. Mm. So she lost both of her parents. I hate that. And basically her sister. Because she was sent off. She's all alone now. Mm -hmm. So the trial for Cicero's murder began, and Helen sat in the front row. Now Helen, she wore a red velvet dress suit and a white fur muff around her hands. Very fabulous. Mm. Especially for the river people. And she sat in silence and listened and watched to everything that happened. So the trial wasn't going great. Helen was a minor. She was only 17. And I guess the laws back then. Uh, she was not, not allowed to be a witness and to testify. I so she rolled my eyes so I hard. Know. <laughs> and the only other witness was Ada and she was dead. So Jack was claiming it was self-defense. Jack can suck toes. Yes. Also, um, the river people are very much looked down at in this town by the Drylanders. Like, they're beneath them, they're lower class, they're riffraff. And it was very obvious that this trial was very biased Mm. towards Jack, who was not a river person. Got it. So everyone was kind of believing him and what he was saying. So everyone was kind of thinking he was going to get away with it. So, it's time for the jury to go and deliberate, and as they stood to leave, Jack also stood, like a normal uh, court proceeding. However, Helen also stood up. Oh. In the pew. 
and from her white fur muff she pulled out a, her hand, holding a pearl-handled pearl-handled pistol. Oh. And she shot Jack in the chest in the middle of the courtroom. Ah, oh, queen. After she shot Jack, she just stood there in silence and watched the courthouse break into pure madness. Because they were like, what the hell just happened? I love this. Oh, it is like a movie. I love this story so much. So the sheriff approached her. Now, remember, her one of her best friends mm-hmm. is the son of the sheriff. Yeah. So the sheriff knows her, knows the family. Very, like, they just know each other very well. And he approached her, scared to death. And brought her to a holding room. He asked for her gun mm-hmm. because she just shot somebody. I need that gun, homie. And he tried to unload it. Uh-huh. And he was so nervous. He was shaking so bad. He couldn't get it to unload. Oh, no. So Helen was like, here, let me. And she took it, unloaded it, and gave it back. Cool as a freaking cucumber. I love her. She is. Love her. And they asked her, why did you do this? And she said, quote, he killed my daddy. River Justice. Yep, she had just dealt Jack Burles River Justice. Mm. Love it. So the media went wild with this story. And all the tales, and it was very dramatic. It was a whole thing. And she ended up getting the name The Swamp Angel. I love that. <laughs> she, she's known as Helen Spence The Swamp Angel. So people loved her. They loved her story, and she got a lot of supporters. Mm-hmm. Everyone understood why she did it, and the public did not blame her for doing it. Good. So now she just had to wait for the murder of Jack, because she did have to stand trial. Yeah. Now, during the wait for the trial and the trial itself, Helen did not have to stay in jail like other people might have. Mm-hmm. Uh, she stayed with the sheriff and his family. She did have some roles, like she had to... Um, uh, she had to have a curfew and she had to get a job, kind of mm-hmm. stay on her P's and Q's. So Helen got a job at a local cafe. Oh. The owner of this cafe was Jim Bohots. Bohots. I think it's Jim Bohots. And Jim had a reputation for being an absolute creep, mm. a jerk. Uh, he was a real pervert, ter- uh, pervert towards women. And everyone kind of seemed to hate him. Like no one liked him. And typically, young wo- women would work there, and he would grope them, he would harass them, he would make a bunch of advan- advances towards them. And it was he was just a gross human being. He sounds gross. Yeah. So, February 1932, Jim was found in his parked car, shot by his own gun. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, given the fact that Helen worked for Jim, and she was literally waiting for the trial for killing somebody, police questioned her. Mm-hmm. Seemed pretty logical. She said she had nothing to do with it, and it was dropped. There was nothing that tied her to it, and the police kind of figured a lot of people hated Jim Mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons. There was a long line of people who would be willing to kill Jim. (laughs) Oh. Jim was not liked. Well, then he probably deserved it. Yeah. So, that kind of gets brushed to the side. They don't know what happened to Jim. So, the trial started for the murder of Jack Worles, and Helen was originally facing a five-year sentence for the murder, but it got overturned into manslaughter, and she served a two-year sentence. Good for her. She served the sentence at a women's facility called the State Farm for Women in Jacksonville. It's kind of known as the Pea Farm. The Pea Farm. The Pea Farm. Um, Because she was a well-known person, she didn't do any physical work, and she was kept inside. 
Uh, they were trying to avoid any fights by the other inmates, things like that. And by all accounts, she had a very smooth sailing experience. Oh, good. And she got paroled and got out early. But there was one big condition. Oh. She could never return to the river. Oh. Or to any of the counties that she knew and grew up in. She could not go home. That's so unfortunate. Mm -hmm. And that's all she ever knew. Uh huh. And as we discussed, that community is super tight knit. Like, that was her family. And she grew up really in an unorthodox way for mm -hmm. that time. So she probably w wasn't accepted anywhere. Right. Exactly. So she couldn't go home. So she went to Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, this was a big deal for her. And she didn't like it, safe to say. Because two weeks after she got out, she woke up one day. She got dressed. She did her makeup. She looked very nice. And she went to the police station. Mm -hmm. She asked for the chief. And when the chief came up, she said that she killed Jim Boho Bohot and gave her entire confession. Oh. So she said while working at the cafe, Helen did a really good job. She brought in a lot of business because of all the media attention. Mm -hmm. Brought in a lot of money for the cafe. Mm -hmm. um, and everyone wanted to see the Swamp Angel in person. So they wanted to come see her. Uh, she was doing so well at this job. That the judge allowed her to move out of the sheriff's house and into an apartment with one of the other waitresses that was at the cafe. Okay. And they lived in a little apartment that was, like, above it. And, um, by all accounts, she did really well at this job. But her boss, Jim, became more and more difficult the longer she worked there. He would make a lot of advances on Helen. She would turn him down. He would get drunk and just get belligerent, and he would be mean to her and the other girls. So he would do these things knowing damn well that she shot somebody in mm -hmm. cold blood in front of a judge. That is ballsy. But he also knew that she had to be on her P's and Q's because she's awaiting trial. One mm. mess up and she's done. It's true. So he would get furious whenever reporters would just show up and talk to heaven. Heaven. <laughs> <laughs> would show up and talk to Helen. And whenever men would talk to her especially, he would get really mean. Ew. Mm-hmm. Even her friend, John Black, who we had mentioned, would try to come and visit her. Mm -hmm. And Jim would lose his absolute shit. Jim needs to get his shit together. Jim. Mm. It was obvious he was not taking no for an answer and he was never going to leave her alone. So that February 1932, Jim approaches Helen and apologizes for his behavior and asks if, if she would go for a car ride with him. Mm -hmm. That way he could make it up to her. Mm. Now, she agrees. Not because she wanted to. She did not want to. Because she knew what was gonna, probably going to happen. Mm -hmm. But she didn't have a choice. Jim was her boss. She was on trial. Well, going to be on trial. Mm -hmm. And the judge made it very clear, you have to have a job. Yeah. She's in a small town. The jobs are limited. That's who, who's going to be willing to take her on <laughs> for just that's, killing somebody. That's fair. So, she kind of legally... Had to have a job. So she went along with it. So. She went. And as they're driving, Jim claims that there was something wrong with the motor and he stopped the car. She asked him to get out and take a look at the motor, but he refused. He started, like, pawing at her. Ew. And being just really gross and really forward. I hate that. And she knew she was in a really dangerous situation. So, she reached for the gun that she knew that Jim hid in his car and shot him once in the chest. Good. 
She was getting out of the car, and she turned back around and shot him two more times because she was just genuinely... She said, I was just really scared that he wasn't going to die. Yeah. And he would come for her. So, shot her, shot him again. So, the next morning after the murder, word spreads that Jim was found dead in a place in the woods that, you know, was pretty known for couples going to go and canoodle. Ew. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty, pretty popular spot. So, now Helen is on the hook for the murder of Jim. This time was different. Before, she had received a massive outcry of sympathy and a lot of supporters. Mm-hmm. All that sympathy was gone. Because they're like, oh, girl, this is, your, this is your second go around. Sim- sympathy's, you know, not... You don't get it twice. You don't get it twice. Um, so, she was senten- sentenced to 10 years for second degree murder. Which, realistically, I kind of thought... 10 years and this is your second murder trial mm-hmm. i kind of thought it might be more i mean at least she doesn't have to go find a new place to live now mm-hmm. but i mean to me they they both seem pretty justified i think so i get it i'm glad it was only 10 years but i am shocked she only got 10 years yeah so there was an article that i read and i never heard of this before mm-hmm um, but apparently a wealthy landowner offered $1,000 for her parole. Oh. This was known... I had never heard of this. This was known as a debt concubine. Oh. <laughs> Meaning a person would essentially buy a female's prison sentence. That sounds disgusting and but, I hate it. But even though the woman would be free and not in jail, she would basically be, in a very nice way of putting it, at his beck and call. Ew. <laughs> it, he, she would be his concubine, basically. Waiting around for him. So Helen turned down that offer and opted for the prison sentence instead. I would have to. <laughs> I had no idea this existed. I didn't either. The things that money can get you will never cease to amaze me. Oh, I know. So she went back to the pea farm, but since she did not get the same media attention, mm-hmm. no one cared as much. She was not given the same treatment she had before. Mm. So this time she was outside in the blistering heat doing hard labor with the other inmates. There was no special treatment this go around. I mean, you don't get it twice. You don't get it. You, you got it once. Most people don't get it once. That's true. You, get, you, you Just move on. So Helen was very liked and she made friends with the other women. And they seemed to look out for each other pretty well. Uh, one of her friends, who was named Catherine, she had been in the jail for a while, so she had earned certain privileges. Oh. So, she overheard the guards talking about this grand plan they wanted to do. The guards were going to ship the younger girls by bus to Memphis at night and force them into sex trafficking so they could pocket the money and then bring them back the next day. Oh my god. Yeah. So this scared the crap out of Helen. She wanted no parts of it because she knew she'd be on that bus. She literally just murdered somebody to get out of that. Mm-hmm. So the next day after she heard this, September 13th, 1933, she was outside in the field as usual. And she, you know, just happened to look around and she noticed, you know, that fence over there doesn't look too good. Not too sturdy, huh? Not too sturdy. And she just walked away. Huh. Girlfriend just walked. And got out. 
I, I love the ambition. I'm here for the ambition. Unfortunately, three hours later, she was caught oh. and she was brought back. But she had to be punished. That makes sense. Mm. Nah, you're not going to like what she got punished with, though. Probably not. So it was announced to the prison that she would receive ten lashes with a black snake. A black snake was a large whip. And what would happen? The inmate would be stripped naked place spread eagle over a barrel and whipped uh, in in the nether yaya oh my god no mm-hmm. and the warden and guard kept records of all the punishment and during this record they said that they were quote-unquote correcting her and she received 10 lashes uh, five days after that she was back to work in the fields uh, can you imagine how sore I'm trying not to think about and it. And painful. I'm... I, oh, poor thing. I feel like I just need to stand up now. I'm just going to say, <laughs> this was well before, like, prison reform. Yeah. And all that. This clearly. Good, this is a good over 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, after she escaped... Or, sorry. So, she went back to the field. And she's in the field. Again, she escaped. This time, she's booking it. Ballsy. However, she was caught the next day. Damn. Mm-hmm. Again, she had to be corrected. Only this time, there's no record of it. Mm. They took her to the basement, and eventually, no one knows how long, she came out. She had a high fever. She had a kidney infection. She could barely walk, uh. barely stand, and could not speak. Oh, my gosh. Within days, she went septic, and everyone thought she was going to die. No one knows what happened to her while she was in that basement. I hate that. No record. Uh, she was taken to the prison medical center. And the prison basically let her family know that she was probably going to die. And it was just that simple. Mm. According to records, they don't they don't go... Obviously, there's no record on how they quote-unquote corrected her. Mm-hmm. Or what was really wrong with her, like a diagnosis. Mm. However... Uh, we do have some medications that we have. Oh. So she was treated with high levels of sodium benzoate, which is used to treat high levels of ammonia in your system. High ammonia levels can call, can come from liver or kidney failure. So her organs were shutting down. Mm-hmm. Um, she was also giving digitalis, which is basically used to get rid of fluid retention mm-hmm. around your heart. When people have heart problems, they use it to get rid of fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also one day, within just a few hours, she was giving five enemas. That after that, so she was given... Many. That was within a few hours. And after that, she was given more enemas. Oh, my God. So, between the medication to get rid of the fluid retention and all the enemas, people believe that it's possible that the uh, prison may have poisoned her. And they were trying to flush her system to get rid of the evidence before she died. Oh, geez. That way, if there was an autopsy, there was no proof. That is disgusting. Mm-hmm. So, she was completely doped up with morphine and was essentially in a coma. Uh, she got to a point where the only thing they were giving her at all was morphine and enemas. Mm-hmm. And the enemas, for whatever reason, they may, they start doing enemas with sweet milk. So, that's all she had in her body. No fluid, no nothing. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Finally, she was taken to the hospital. 
where she actually got some help because her fever was setting at 103 and she was basically going to die. So the prison didn't have a choice. They had to send her. Yeah. When she was there, the hospital immediately gave her a medication that was used to induce vomiting. Again, what did you do to this poor girl that you have to flush her system out Uh, to that extent? That poor girl. (laughs) I feel so bad for her. Yes. So once she was out of the prison's care, it did not take, or yeah, once she was out of the prison, it did not take long for her to turn around. Once she got the proper medical treatment, she Mm -hmm. bounced back pretty quickly. Oh, good. Um, So she was sent back to the jail, but she was no longer allowed to work in the fields because she kept escaping. (laughs) I mean, maybe they should fix the fence. I don't know. Maybe not have some whack-ass fence that people can walk through. Right. But who am I to judge? I'm just a girl with a microphone. (laughs) What do I know? Um, so she was sent to do laundry. That was her job. So, uh, she spent the next few weeks doing laundry. All the while, she kept hearing rumors about the sex trafficking ring Mm going to start picking up soon. Like, they were going to start implementing this plan. So while she worked with the laundry, she started stealing red gingham printed napkins. Why? Oh, it's genius. I love this. Tell me. Each night in her cell... She would take a new napkin because she'd just take one a day so it wouldn't go missing. She would sew those napkins into the inside of her prison uniform and their uniforms were dresses. Mm-hmm. That's what she So, it's going to come into play. Hold on. You just, you just wait. I'm waiting. You just wait. Patiently. So, not long after she was sent back to jail, she found herself on one of those buses headed to Memphis. Oh. The bus made a stop at a rest area and she asked if she could use the bathroom. Mm-hmm. She went to the bathroom flipped her prison dress inside out, exposing the red napkin gingham print, Mm -hmm. and she just looked like an everyday woman wearing a red gingham dress. Oh. And just walked away. Good for her. I mean, the ingenuity. She had a plan from the start. I (laughs) mean, love it. However, she was caught again. Damn. But because she escaped and they had to find the time to find her, she saved all those women from being trafficked that night. Good. So something good did come from it, but she did get caught. Um, so they, they just went back to the prison. They didn't get, you know, they didn't get forced into sex work. That's good. So at this point, the warden and everyone is um, basically done with her. They're tired of dealing with her. Yeah. So the warden lied and said she was a homicidal maniac. And sent her to the state mental hospital. Oh. She was evaluated and the hospital said, nah, she good. <laughs> She's sane. They did diagnose her with what today is known as antisocial personality disorder. Mm-hmm. But she wasn't a homicidal maniac. No. And she was sent back to prison. Which, to be fair, I would also probably have antisocial personality yeah. disorder after putting up with this bullshit. I mean, I just have that in general. I know. <laughs> I probably do, too. So, when the warden found out that she was coming back, she ordered to have a wooden cage built, and Helen had to stay in it. This cage was so small, Helen could not move. The cage was placed away from the other inmates. She was alone, and the cage was directly under a window where the sun would beat on her all day long. Ugh. In Arkansas. Ugh. The cage would reach over 100 degrees, and she would get no break all day long. That is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. She was sent to work outside again, but she was highly watched. 
So she would go to work, very supervised, and then straight back to the cage. That was her life. Mm. Uh, she was no longer allowed to talk to anybody. She couldn't eat with anyone. No one was allowed to talk to her. It, she was completely isolated. Mm-hmm. So one day she was working in the fields in the summer hot heat and she fainted. Oh. She asked for her medication because since everything that had happened to her, mm-hmm. she did have some long-lasting things she had to deal with. Naturally. So she did have medication she actually did have to take. So they allowed for that to happen. She went to take her medicine and she came back to the field. Mm-hmm. But she was walking back to her position in the field and she just kept walking back to the fence. She walked past, keep in mind, she walked past armed guards and the assistant warden, and they watched her climb over the barbed wire fence and ran into the woods. They just watched it happen in real time. Mm-hmm. They were like, okay, I guess this is happening again. Yep. So she slept in the woods that night. Someone saw her and reported her to the police. Mm-hmm. I get it, I guess. I get it. You know, I would also not like having an inmate in my woods. That's fair, yeah. I mean, I like Helen, though. I, w- I would let Helen go. We homies. <laughs> That's assuming you know it's Helen. That's true. Yeah. If I saw someone in an inmate uniform creeping around Creeping the around my house, I'm calling the cops. Yeah. So she slept in the woods that night. Uh, the next morning, she's walking down a dirt road, and the police find her. Ugh. The police told her to stop, and according to them... She didn't. The armed guard that she had literally just walked by the day before Mm -hmm. aimed and shot her in the back of the head, Mm. killing her instantly. When they searched her body, they found red lipstick that one of the inmates had given her Mm -hmm. and a gun that belonged to one of the guards. She snuck into one of their rooms before she escaped and stole their gun a queen a queen we love her they also found a note in her cage that said quote to whom it may concern i'll never be taken alive mm-hmm. hmm. suspicious so the warden was told about what happened to which she said quote that's a great burden off my shoulders oh my god mm-hmm. so for anyone who hasn't uh, quite figured it out she was set up I I stumbled upon that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The guards let her go the day before so they could kill her and get away with it. Ugh. Helen's sister, Edie, knew something was fishy. Mm-hmm. She brought in hundreds of letters that Helen had written to her strictly so they could compare the handwriting from her letters to the note that was left in the cage. Oh, wow. None of it matched. Mm. She didn't write that note. I believe that. Mm-hmm. The coroner had originally written her cause of death as a justified homicide. Then he had it changed to undetermined. Oh, no. And he asked for a grand jury investigation, which was granted. So it finally got investigated. Death. Murder. Well, well what happened? So the whole thing was proven to be a setup. Yeah. Uh, the superintendent who had ordered for the cage to be built, he, uh... Casually resigned. Oh, as they do. Mm-hmm. There was an open investigation on the warden and how she ran the prison. She ended up resigning. As they do. Mm-hmm. Her assistant warden got charged with being an accessory. Oh, no. And the guard, you'll love this, 
the guard that killed her was not a real guard. What the fuck? The guard was actually a trustee guard, meaning that he was an inmate from the men's prison. And he was in prison for murder. And they had that man in charge of holding a gun around women. He was just itching for any chance he could get. Mm -hmm. So he was being charged with another murder. The guard confessed to this happening. I wonder if it was a double side up. Like maybe he kept doing things at his prison. I don't know. I think technically speaking, at least on paper, he probably did enough to get that title of being the trustee. Mm -hmm. But hold on a second. Okay. So the guard confessed and that he told, sorry, the guard confessed and he said he killed Helen. Mm -hmm. But he didn't do it on his own accord. Wasn't his plan. Oh, he said that he was given a promise, a bargain, if you will. He was told that if he killed Helen, the warden and everyone involved would get him out of his prison sentence. Oh, please. Mm-hmm. And by a technicality, he was acquitted for the murder of heaven. Heaven again. He was a- <laughs> acquitted for the murder of Helen because a guard can kill an inmate if they were escaping. So he got mm-hmm. away with it. I just don't know how to feel about that. Mm-hmm. He didn't get out for his other murder. He, still, he was still in jail for that. Okay. But he got away with the murder of Helen disgusting mm-hmm. so one of the doctors testified that he told prison officials that helen should not go back to the cage he told the prison officials like hey no bueno it's no, no more good. cage no more cage he said she was literally slowly burning alive and compared it to medieval torture oh my god he also said that at some point she had suffered a heart attack but no one documented it and he said that you cannot put her in the box. And if you have to put her in the fields to work, she cannot be overworked or she will have another heart attack. Oh, gee. So he tried, but no one listened to him. That's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. So the media gets a hold of this again mm-hmm. and starts talking about the story. And once again, Helen is loved. She has all the supporters. Yeah, she's a saint again. She's a saint. And she had people writing about her... Um, their experiences with her, like she had um, an inmate that she was with that mm-hmm. wrote a, like a whole newspaper article about her saying how great she was and she was loved and all, like they really poured out the love for her. Okay. And there was an outpour of donations that would cover her funeral cost and like people sent flowers and Aww. like people doma- uh, donated like cemetery plots and mm-hmm. everything. So they got a funeral home to take care of Helen. Mm-hmm. The funeral home put Helen's body in display in a window for everyone to see because she had so much media attention. And I kind of feel like because so many people donated, they probably felt a little entitled. So they put her on display. That is disgusting to me. Yeah. So, but this, I love this though. You're going to love this. Okay. I promise it. It gets better. Okay. However, the river people, they knew her best and knew she would not be happy about this. Mm-hmm. They hated that she was on display. They wanted her to have dignity and respect. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And her best friend, John Black, who was in the beginning, and some other river people broke into the funeral home in the middle of the night. Hell yeah. And they took Helen's body and buried her where they knew she would want to be buried. So she was buried next to her father in an unmarked grave so no one could bother her ever again. That's beautiful. I mm-hmm. love it. So you'll love this too. You're going to get hit in the feels, I think. I'm ready for it. I'm prepared. So her friend, John Black, who we stand John. We stand We love John. John. He took a baby cedar tree from the banks of the White River mm-hmm. and planted it at her grave. Aww. So she would always have a piece of the river with her and he would know where she was buried. I love that. So, uh, a little more recent. How do we know about everything that happened to Helen? How? Well, her other friend, Elsie Brown, grew up to be a cop. And in the 70s, John Black called up Elsie and asked to come visit. They hung out a couple times, and John finally worked up the nerve to tell Elsie what his motive was. John told Elsie that he knew where Helen was buried, and he stole her body to take her there. Mm-hmm. And he had been tending to her grave all these years. Aww. And at this point, he was in his 80s. He was getting older. Um, so the whole point of him getting Elsie involved was he wanted to make sure that Helen's story got told. I love that. So he said, when I die, you let everyone know where Helen is buried and you tell her story for the world. Elsie was very hesitant. He said, I'm not sure how you want me to do this. And John said, you'll find a way. They always find a way. They find a way. So John died in 1979. He made Elsie promise to wait until he was dead before, you know, he revealed the story. Mm-hmm. And Elsie agreed. And once John died, he did everything he could to live up to live up to his promise and get Helen's story told. Elsie mm-hmm. Brown helped write a book called Daughter of the Right of the White River, and he told her story wherever he could. He helped with some documentaries mm-hmm. and everything. He just did everything he could. And in 2015, he passed away at 88. So, the lady that he was writing a book with, her name was Denise Parkinson. Denise White Parkinson, sorry. They worked together to get Helen posthumously. I can never say that word. Posthumously? Yes. Pardoned from her crimes. I love that. Um, And Denise even continued on this even after Elsie died. So, she kind of took that on to get justice for Helen. Elsie Brown was off... Elsie Brown was often asked if anything romantic ever happened with Helen and John because John did so much for her. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was just so sweet. <laughs> he said, no, they were just buddies. Ain't you ever had a buddy? Aww. <laughs> I just pictured this little old man saying, ain't you ever had a buddy? I love that. So today, Helen has an official headstone. She's buried in St. Charles Cemetery in St. Charles, Arkansas, mm-hmm. next to her daddy. Good. And there's even a small marker on the tree that John planted for her. I love that. And that's the story of Helen Spence, the Swamp Angel. I love the Swamp Angel. I love this story. I hate that she went through everything she went through. It's absolutely tragic. As you were telling the story, I was like playing it in my head as if it were a movie. So I definitely see how you kind of are thinking that it could be a Hollywood show. I just picture it being like just a really awesome movie and if they ever do make it a movie i hope they do it justice because 
not some lifetime movie. No, where, no yeah. made for TV. No BS. made for TV. We need high budget. We need Pedro Pascal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it needs justice because Helen was a badass. She's Sounds probably like she's it. like one of my favorite people I've probably read about in all my research for she's, this podcast. She's definitely my favorite I've heard about so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is probably one of my favorite stories. So had to tell it. I love it. So. That's the story of Helen, and uh, I guess we will see you guys next week. See you next time. Bye. Bye.